Ayurveda is part of my heart. While I've done several episodes with Ayurvedic practitioners, I felt that we must come back to looking at nidra as a key pillar in all healing. In today's episode, we answer three questions. What is the role of nidra in healing? What does Ayurveda say about timing, duration and quality of sleep? What can you do if you have to stay up late? Nidhi is a Nama certified Ayurvedic practitioner who has been indoctrinated into this science of life from birth. Being born in an Ayurvedic household, the timeless principles of Ayurveda are etched in her psyche. She advocates that wellness is the freedom to live a fuller life and not the fear of disease. Today, Nidhi practices this sacred science across the globe and has helped thousands of people attain their state of balance. Let's get started. Hey everyone, I'm Deepa, Light Functional Medicine practitioner, author and yogini and you're listening to the Sleep Whisperer podcast, the only sleep podcast with conversations and meditations. I'm on a mission to share profoundly insightful sleep conversations with global visionaries that merge together functional medicine and ancient wisdom. Breathe in bliss through weekly guided meditations and let yourself enter the land of dreams. Together, let's unravel the pieces, get to the roots and understand the right tools to transform your sleep completely. Through this podcast, I want you to dream the best version of yourself. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey. Nidhi Pandya, welcome to the Sleep Whisperer podcast. You are such a beautiful force of Ayurveda out there. And and when I discovered you, I think it was pure destiny. And I think it's so rare to find somebody today who's all about working from a space of love and just not allowing anything which is disagreeable from the outside to stress us within. I think I'd love to also interweave that into our conversation somewhere because I think it's critically important when um, there are these internal discords, our ability to sleep. We're talking about Nidra, one of the three most important pillars of Ayurveda. And what I love about you when you speak Ayurveda is that, uh, of course, there's the wisdom, of course, there's the experience, but there's also humility, there's sincerity. And that's, I think, perhaps more than the wisdom, I love those aspects of humility. So, and I know you come into this space From a background of Ayurveda, you were born into an Ayurvedic family. I'd love to know a little bit more. I was always curious when I was watching you as uh, what is that? Where were you born? Who got you into Ayurveda? So let's just start with that. 
Thank you so much, Deepa, for having me. It's really a pleasure. And I think especially when people, you know, read between the lines and understand at least the, the truth that I try to bring to this space. Um, with that, Deepa, I was born into a family where my grandfather was an Ayurvedic healer. Uh, my father also has his own Ayurvedic company, but he's not a practitioner, so as to say. But we lived in a family of 14 people, seven children, seven adults. And because Ayurveda was such a part of our life, right, that it was immersed in our life. It was like a first language. So it was never, it didn't feel like health rules. You cannot have yogurt at night. There was no such thing. We just never had yogurt at night. So we never asked for yogurt at night. For example, I'm just giving you an example. But it was a beautiful playground, right? Because I noticed conversation around, hey, it's a sunny day. So a particular child needs extra coconut or water. Oh, she tends to get very dry or fatigued or, oh, it's a hard, it's hard for a person in the family to wake up with the sun. And, you know, I was just very curious, Deepa. So I just noticed all these little patterns and they were because we were, my family was an Ayurvedic family and we kind of spoke about these things. But I also was raised for, and I always say this, that health, was the freedom it comes you know that comes from being well it's not the fear of sickness today we think you know you have to really be scared to be well and it was just the opposite and so I really grew up with Ayurveda being my first language and this playground of people to learn with uh, me and you know I'm the only one in my generation who's taken this on because I think I was always curious Deepa about like we have the same stimulus but different response you know, and uh, how people interact and feel differently and the mind and the body and all of that. So while I first did psychology, this is what I studied. Very early on in my early 20s, and I had a lot of background and I helped my dadaji making medicines and this and that. But in my early 20s, I realized like, you know what, this is my heart lies in Ayurveda. And then I went to a gurukulam, I studied, I used his textbooks, and I really feel like his blessings kind of poured down on me. And uh, and then that's where, and I moved to the US uh, back then. And I moved to the US and, you know, I said, it doesn't matter whether the world is ready for this or not. Literally, Deepa, it's going to sound really funny if I say this. When people in, around me in my ecosystem were like, why are you doing Ayurveda in the US? Nobody gets it. And I said, it's okay if nobody gets it, but I want to do it with so much love that in my next lifetime, I don't have to wait 20 years to discover it. Like in my mind, I was like, the moment I die, I want this to be in my consciousness so deep that I, I, I'm awakened by this consciousness. So that was my love for Ayurveda and it comes from my dadaji. Beautiful. And I think that even in that, right, that remark of why in the why in US, I mean, I think that wisdom could be anywhere. And it's just about how someone imbibes it. And uh, I mean, right, so it sounds a lot like my journey with yoga, where I've been teaching for the last 22 years. And way back then, friends would look at me and say, why are you teaching yoga? Is there even any money in this? It was never about the passion behind it. And today yoga has just taken the world by storm. 
right? And so, okay, so let's talk about Ayurveda. I know that uh, Nidra is a vitally important part of healing. I do want us to talk also about timing of sleep because there's recently a lot of debate into sleep chronotypes and being the night owl. There's an entire book about it. And I've tried to ask this of several of my guests and um, typically I get a lot of responses that Yes, we are all meant to be different. Some of us are meant to be sleeping in the middle of the night. Maybe we are more productive. And I know Ayurveda is probably the original circadian medicine way before research took over all of this. So I'd love for us to talk even about timing when we're talking about Nidra. So, but how is Nidra made to be vitally important for all healing. Right. So, you know, uh, as human beings, right? Uh, so the three pillars, Deepa, I want to just, I may not introduce all of them, but I want to just tell you what they are, right? Ahar, Nidra, and Brahmacharya, which means aha, these are very important for life because as we are, as we come on the earth and you aging, Yes, there's growth, but then aging starts, right? It's called Parinama in Ayurveda. It's just the aging. It's the gradual aging of the body. What will you do with it? But how do you replenish it? It's through Ahar and through Nidra, right? And Brahmacharya is again preservation. So as long as you don't, you know, so you're, you're nourishing at a physical level. And then when you're nourishing at a physical level, after that, Nidra comes in. You've gotten gas in your car. You've driven it, but you can't continue to drive it. It needs to be parked. And what happens during Nidra is because when you're in awake times, you could have various stress responses. You could have various nervous responses. Your body is expending all energy on action, whether it's eating or it's talking or it's sitting or walking. But when you're in sleep, now it says, finally, now I can do service and maintenance. So there's a, it's a rest and repair mode. And your body does intensive repair when you're sleeping through your, it, in the mind, in the body. That's why we have dreams sometimes. We purge things out. And I want to go into, like you said, the timing. We will go into that. And it's beautiful how Ayurveda explains it. But again, this see, these are the three steps to nourishment and preservation of the body. The food you eat the sleep you sleep and how you preserve your energies. And uh, and that's why Nidra is as important as Ahar. Today in the world, we talk about Ahar or food endlessly. We've made it to be the only pillar. We said Ahar and Vyayama, food and exercise are the only two pillars. As a result, we are undernourished and overworked, We're exercising more and eating less. That's not how Ayurveda prescribes it. You do a wholesome ahar, you sleep well, and you preserve your energies. And that's the role of nidra, that it comes to health. It's also free healing time. I say to everybody, it's your time where it's like you've gone to the doctor and you've come back and all in your sleep. So um, it's very, very critical. Without that, your body cannot do the deep repairs that it needs on a daily basis. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. And my son has an adrenal disorder. So he's a steroid dependent child. He doesn't produce cortisol and aldosterone. And uh, so whenever he has a situation of potential dehydration, like a virus, diarrhea, vomiting, because they lose copious amounts of sodium, they can dehydrate and die. So couple of days back, he came back from a sleepover with a fever of 103. And the previous night, not last night, he was uh, the whole night I was sponging him. And these kids cannot recover until you double or triple the steroid dose. So by yesterday in the morning, he was so severe that I thought I'd need to again take him to the ICU for SOS IV steroids. And uh, I doubled his steroid in the morning and then he fell asleep after that. He slept almost through the day. And by the evening when he woke up at two o'clock for a late lunch and took a second double steroid, um, he had started to get better and he had missed being hospitalized. Now, I, of course, I want to clarify that these are unusual situations and I'm not promoting steroids in his case it's a replacement steroid Uh, but I'm just talking about the power of sleep even in a pathological condition how powerful it can be in preventing something more serious absolutely no and I'm sorry to hear about that but I'm really glad that yeah I mean I tell everybody that you lose you know you're sleeping less one day you had a late night second day maybe you had a late night by the third day there is something significantly changing in your body. So, you know, Deepa back, like very often, once in a once in a while, I'll actually go to bed at 7.30, you know, 7 o'clock, 7 p.m. And I'll sleep throughout. Um, but regularly, of course, we can talk about timing if if that's, this is a good time to talk about timing and what Ayurveda that prescribes, but you tell me when. But otherwise, yes, sleep is very important. And I would say you never want to be sleep deprived, but if people are, they're traveling ABC, then two days is the maximum. The third day, you want to do whatever you can and get catch up on that sleep and more. And I think, Deepa, as we continue to talk about it, I think one of the things we should talk about is what is Ayurveda's prescription when you have stayed up late? Well, I, I mean, it's almost as if it's preemptive, you know, it's like how way back when I was studying yoga, there was some some a guru who read out from one of the texts on what you can expect in Kali Yuga. And it was uncanny that 20 years later, almost all of it is there out there in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, so let's first talk a little bit about what does Ayurveda prescribe for optimal sleep in terms of all of it, quality, quantity. Are there specific people who struggle to fall asleep? Uh, I know I have this vata prakriti going on and i do have certain challenges sometimes when i lose off uh, when i go off balance but let's first talk about timing prescription and then i would love to talk about what you said about what does ayurveda say when we do stay awake what can we do okay okay so deepa now ayurveda like you said it's the first circadian science it's understood the rhythms of our body really well around 10 p.m in our body right so around 10 p.m is 
pittakal of night. Pittakal is where metabolism happens. But how would metabolism happen at night? It is really deep repair in metabolism, which means that between the hours of 10 and 2, which now scientists know to be good hours for the production of your sleep hormone, melatonin, those are the hours where your brain is the most active in production of melatonin. As a result, when you're sleeping, the deep, the cleansing from the day, the processing of thoughts, but also cleansing of toxins, you know, working on the repair of the cells, what needs to be thrown out, all of that happens between 10 and 2, which means you definitely want to be in bed before 10 if you can be. Also, uh, Deepa, what I find, so, you know, I tell people to find their own evidence. And one of the things I say is at 2 o'clock, around 1, 2, 2.30, a lot of people wake up to either urinate or they wake up in a sweat. And the reason for this is because when that process has kind of ended, you know, your body finds a way of throwing the toxins out. It doesn't happen for everybody. You know, for some people, it can go right into the bowels and wait till the morning. But your body will find a way for a lot of people to throw it out through sweat or urine. That's why people wake up suddenly hot. They were okay when they were sleeping, but they were hot. So that's what happens at night. And then what happens after two o'clock, after around two o'clock, Deepa, what happens is um, that's the vata kal of that period. And in the vata kal, vata is wind. Pitta is fire metabolism. Vata is a wind. And in wind, now your body suddenly has space. Processing has happened. Space is created in your nervous system. And if you're not sleeping deeply, in that space comes REM sleep. It comes noise and, you know, like sounds become louder. You, you just experience, your experience becomes bigger. Anxiety, people who have anxiety. This is a time because your nervous system is empty. It has space. So if you're feeling anxious and vata brings lightness to the body. So if you wake up, it's harder to fall asleep between the hours of two and six. Because vata is playing havoc, it's giving you more thoughts, it's giving you a lightness and a restlessness. For sometimes it may also feel a little bit cold for some people eventually as, as you know, 435, their body becomes again a little bit weary. So that's the vata time of that morning, early morning. So that was between 10 to 2 is pitta time, 2 to 6 is vata time. After 6 o'clock, comes the kapha time. The sun begins to rise. The earth becomes wet. There's dew on the earth. Same thing happens in our body. People get little congestion sometimes. People get eye boogers. You know, it's that time. But it is the time to wake up. The antidote to kapha is movement. So in the perfect world where the sun is setting at six and rising at six, but even if it's not, these are approximate hours of where your cycle looks like. And deepest sleep between 10 and two, you go into light sleep between two and six. But when you go into light sleep, and if you can't keep sleeping, there is stuff you can do Deepa. And we can talk about all of that. What do you do if you wake up? What do you do if you don't fall asleep? We'll talk about all of that. But now does everybody need the same amount of sleep? And what we find very like, what they say in the West, oh, she likes to wake up at night. You're the person who needs to go to bed at night. She likes to sleep in in the morning. You're the person who actually needs to wake up in the morning. So there are three types of people. And I'm going to say doshas, but I'm also going to just briefly define them. The kapha type, who wants to just sleep and sleep is my best friend. 
their body becomes more sluggish and slows down more when they honor that sleep. So they need to wake up 30 minutes before sunrise, assuming the sun is rising at 6.30. So even a little bit before they want to wake up, they should get out of bed and stimulate themselves because their, their body is sluggish. They need extra stimulation. So they can drink something warm. They can have a spice. They can do a little bit of exercise. So the kapha who likes to sleep and wake up a little bit early. The pitta who can feel hot at night, listen to sounds, is a hot body, uh, who does not like light in the room, feels hot easily. That person can wake up with the sun. You know, they are usually well planned if they're balanced. Wake up with the sun, you're fine. The vata who wakes up in the wee hours of morning, right, actually needs a little bit extra sleep. You need to give a little bit of extra sleep so that uh, your body can get rested because it's in light sleep. Now, that being said, right, if you don't sleep, if it's hard for you to fall asleep after 4.35 and you wake up, that's it's also Brahma Murta. It's the time of space and creation, the space in your body. It's also space in the universe to internalize something. And that's why our Rishis Deepa, they prescribe this as a time for internalizing knowledge, for chanting mantras, for even grounding practices, because Vata takes you everywhere. So if you're awake and you're in your bed, you're going to imagine the worst. But if you get out of your bed, and you have a practice, you do your breath work, you chant your mantras, you meditate, you're going to ground that vata and in fact, use it as an opportunity for evolution, spiritual evolution. So these are the three different, this is how the waking timings, the wake up timings differ for three different body types. So true Nidhi and I, you know, about 20 years, I, I drove, I drove about 50 kilometers away from where I live to teach yoga and uh, so I was on the move Vata's you know movement and I would always sleep fitfully and it was horrible I had so many health challenges sporadically because of this constant inability to have deep sleep and then uh, three years ago I just decided to quit all of it and switch into virtual and um I said, I'm not going to set an alarm because obviously I don't need to wake up at 3 a.m. to drive somewhere and be there at 4.30. So I'm not going to set an alarm. I'm going to fall asleep when I start falling asleep. So sometimes I'm sitting in the bed with talking and then by 7.30 I've nodded off. And I said, I'm not going to set this alarm and I would wake up about nine hours later and I felt so good and I stopped falling ill. I stopped having those niggling symptoms. It was all that just sleep. And I continue to do that even today where I let myself sleep. And I usually it takes about nine hours, which is probably unusual for someone with my uh, prakriti. But I wake up at Brahma Muhurtam, as you know, it's now very early in the morning for me. And then I'm awake on most days by four o'clock. I love that time because I think it's where I'm my most creative self. 
Um, and I know that you spoke about wake time, but let's talk a little bit about these three bodies and the sleep time, because that's where there's a lot of modern approach into the night owl and how our sleeping times vary. So how is that looking different? Is it that if we fall asleep at midnight that we are meant to be that way? So, you know, it's really funny, all the things we trick ourselves into, right? You know, there are people who are so distracted. There could be so many different realities for different people. People who are just used to eating dinner really late and that's why they don't go to bed late. And there could be another set of people who eat heavy non-spicy dinners, but they put it puts them into food coma and then they go to sleep early and they feel like they need to sleep early. And then there could be people who are creative, but talking to everybody in the world outside and when the moonlight comes out and, and and it's dark outside their creative juices combine with the energy of the moon and they want to write at that point right so the universe is a combination of so many different things and so much that we do traditionally the hours between 6 p.m and 10 p.m and Deepa I invite everyone to really slow down and listen to the sounds of nature in this hour and you're in a jungle, so I'm sure you do it all the time. But the sounds of the birds in the morning when they're waking up, right? There's a certain sound. And there's a sound of the birds at night when they're retiring. And it's a very different chirp. And it's a very settling chirp. And you smell the earth in the evening. It's a very grounding smell. So those are the hours of, of earth. It's the kapha time of that evening where you're supposed to ground and slow down. And all species in the world, I mean, they're not, they won't be three different crows saying one crow, I, I sleep at this time and the second crow sleep. There's a cycle that's related to the sun. And because of the professions and lifestyles and foods we choose, we have learned now to have different sleep times. And yes, for some people, it's genuinely challenged to fall asleep because their nervous systems are so active. And then you work on the nervous system. But for everyone, right, we can rationalize everything. But for everyone, you want to be sleeping for at least good three, four hours between 10 and two. You know, uh, you can prove that your body produces better melatonin at 2.30 a.m. because you've trained yourself to do so. But the darkness and the eyes, the optic nerve connected to your hypothalamus, which gives the signal of when that melatonin should start producing your eyes. And in Ayurveda, those are the most important sense organs. It's actually not most important, but it talks about how much cue it takes from the world around you. It will respond to darkness and you can change its habits. We can change anything, but it's not in the natural order of the, of the world. So uh, Deepa, I'm a big believer of, you wanna settle down between six and 10 and you want to slow down and you want to sleep as close to 10 as possible it's hard for some people because you're sick you're working it's okay your body will adapt and that's called satmiyata in ayurveda it says you can smoke for 50 years and your body can get used to it because it's become satmiya depends on when you introduce something how healthy are you when you first introduce even if it's something that's not good for you so if you introduce it as a child and you've been eating something which is not good for as swamp, it may not hurt you because your body satmiya to it. Your body has adapted to it. And uh, so that can happen very quickly. 
And of course, I'm concerned now when you said that, that I can already hear someone I know saying then, well, see, I told you it was fine for me to have alcohol every night. Uh, so let's just to clarify that a little bit. That Does that mean that if something, because you said that if it was started at a time they were younger or healthier, that they can adapt to it. So does that mean that it is safe for them always or not? No, Sudipa, absolutely not, right? I mean, look, it does not, they may adapt to it. They may not get as drunk as somebody who's had their first glass at that time, right? So their body has learned to do something with it. It does not mean that damage is not being caused, right? The chances are damage is being caused, plus the body is aging. And there are certain foods that are apathya, which are bad for everybody, every day, right? And alcohol is 100% one of them. I mean, Ayurveda has certain use of little amounts of alcohol in arishtams and certain herbal preparations, but not alcohol as an alcohol, the way we drink it in the West and in the East and everywhere in the world. But uh, 100%, right? So you can't, it doesn't mean you can do something, but you can start believing that your body is okay with it because your body may not throw out a response, right? So when I say that, it means your body is not throwing out a response. You're not yawning at 10.30, you're yawning at 1.30. So because your body has adjusted to the cycle, damage is still being done. Perfect. And so in on this note, at this moment, we can talk about what does somebody do if they have to stay up for some reason, even the people like in shift work, but not necessarily that even if one of us has a random day where we need to stay awake for a reason, how can we help ourselves so we don't go completely off balance and I know that I would love to know this, Nidhi, because there are occasional times of the month where I'd like to stay up to meet my mentor somewhere else. And I always refrain from doing it because it upsets me for the next several weeks where my sleep is off, I've, my energy is off, and I myself would love to know how to navigate this. Sure. So Deepa, the, the prescription is you want to sleep for, so let's say you were awake for three extra hours at night. You want to take half of that, so one and a half hour, and you want to sleep in that much, right? So of course, when you sleep, I would also say that if you've had a late night, when you sleep, put some oil on your feet. If you can wear socks, you wear it. If you can make your room dark, if you want to use lavender essential oil, or, you know, just keep the room a little cold, but you want to have a heavier blanket, guru. Guru is the guna that you want to sleep. So, and you know, so people are like, we feel hot. I said, cool the room a little bit. It's okay, open the windows, do whatever you need to, but kind of have the blanket on. You can sleep better that way, maybe have a glass of milk with nutmeg, etc. But the prescription is that you can sleep in for half the time that you kind of stayed up in the morning and then your body will reset. But you don't want to do this every day. This is on occasion. And I, I loved what you spoke about guru and the heaviness and the blanket because today there's suddenly this huge research into weighted blankets. And oh. uh, right, so there's this uh, that a particular person who's so who weighs so much should have 
so much more added to their blanket. And it's amazing that so far back in Ayurveda, there was these qualities of opposites and how could we soothe ourselves through that. It it's just it blows my mind every time I hear some example of it I would love I know that we don't have too much time but I want to talk a little bit about how might you look at what do we eat so that we improve sleep uh, and also some general recommendations which you feel are some of the most powerful ones in Ayurveda to support better sleep so Deepa, definitely, I would say that uh, what you eat in the second half of the day really counts. I have one practical tip, which is, of course, Ayurveda did not talk about caffeine, but it talks about gunas of substances, properties. So we know what caffeine does. It's hot and it's stimulating. It's tikshna, ushna tikshna, tikshna, which is sharp. And I would say caffeine, you don't want to drink caffeine after three o'clock. Let's say so we started, we start this at, at, at 2.33. Your biggest meal is lunch. Sun is out, you eat your biggest meal. You don't want to do caffeine at three uh, or four. Nothing after that, nothing after three. Uh, even if you're doing your chai. Uh, your dinner, right? So you eat what you eat. You want to eat a snack. At night, what you eat becomes very important. If you eat a very spicy meal, there's going to be excessive heat in your body. It will not be able to settle. If you eat a very heavy meal, it will temporarily put you into a food coma and you may go to sleep well and you first fall asleep. But your body is going to consume excessive energy now not to repair but to digest that food. So a light sattvic dinner with a good fat. So when I say a light sattvic dinner, it should be cooked it should be warm. It should have a good fat. It should have some good spices. It should be eaten in peace. And all of these things, when you eat a dinner like that, that is, that's just your dinner. We'll talk about more ideas. That is supportive to your, uh, to supportive to sleep, conducive to sleep. Ghee is, gruta is conducive to sleep. Now that, if you have yogurt, if you have fruit, not okay for the night. It'll start creating excessive kapha and then it'll start bothering your sinuses. Now, if people who stay up late, right, because your body has started repair, but you're staying up late, you get a second hunger pang, right? Because now your body's like, I have to stay awake and I have to do this repair inside. So now I need double the energy. That's like a false hunger alarm and your body doesn't like that. I tell people whether that happens or if you just get hungry, right? Like I, 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 like, I, I like the idea of eating dinner by six. And then people who sleep a little bit later and suddenly get hungry at night. Milk, a hot glass of spiced milk. And when I say spiced, you can put nutmeg. You can also put cardamom. Cardamom is underrated. Just cardamom in the in milk can also feel like a tranquilizer. We, of course, have some other herbs in Ayurveda, which I don't like to just talk about like that uh, because people misuse them. But otherwise, nutmeg and cardamom are safe. You have a hot glass of milk. If you really have a hard time falling asleep, adding one teaspoon of ghee to that milk really well, that also tremendously helps. In terms of what is it that you can do? You can wash your feet, get on the bed, oil your feet. Make sure you're not walking with oil and you'll trip. So you oil your feet. You can wear 
depending on where you live, you can wear socks or not wear socks. But even if you wear socks, I tell them to cut out the toes. I say, cut out the toes and wear your socks or at least have those toe socks, which are open on the toe. Do that. Ideally, right, you want to not be on your screen again because of the blue light. I'm sure you guys talk plenty about that. Um, but having like reading, having some level of convergent focus helps. So you're doing convergent focus or you're observing the breath when you're sleeping or maybe even if you're reading when you're sleeping or you're just doing a meditation in your mind when you're sleeping and then your body falls back into that. It's called uh, divergent focus. It kind of falls back and you kind of start resting and that happens, right? So this is how you start eating. You eat a sattvic meal. You can include your milk, no spicy, no heavy, no fruits, no yogurt, nothing cold, nothing raw in the evening. Simply put, that is the diet. And I would love for you to just talk a little bit about sattvic meal because probably there are people who may one not really be fully aware of what is a sattvic meal. So little, some examples, maybe just to make us understand that. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, technically sattvic meal, right, as Deepa knows, is, is something that brings clarity. It's not going to stimulate you, which a rajasic meal would, or it's not going to put you in slowness or darkness or deny like a tamasic meal would, but it's just going to allow you to nourish yourself and bring clarity. And what are those foods? Ghee and cooked rice and cooked moong dal and cooked green vegetables, avoiding meats, avoiding garlic, avoiding onions, I would even go so far as to say avoiding nightshades like tomatoes, etc. The simpler you keep it, and I would say bringing it down to your white rice and your moong dal and your green cooked vegetables and ghee and consuming it warm in a peaceful state of mind, eating slowly makes everything about it very sattvic. But you want to avoid onion, garlic, nightshades, meat. And I, think, and I think Nidhi, isn't this as if that We've moved away in terms of global eating from all of these because there's fear of eating white rice, there's fear of lentils, there's fear of dairy. I mean, everything that we're talking about is something as a world we've moved away from. It's more towards the raw foods. It's more towards uh, animal-based eating. It's more towards uh, the complex greens and it seems as if it's we're, we're stuck in some sort of a time vacuum where you and I are talking about this meal so you know Deepa I just tell people one simple thing I said just go and google what happened to humans when fire when we started using fire to cook our foods we actually became the species that we became because we started using fire and our gut consumed less energy. Our brains grew bigger. We were as animalistic as any other animal. The reason why we are less primitive is fire, is because we started cooking our foods. And I think people just fail to understand the intelligence and the intuition we carry inside. So that's something with raw food. The first thing I said was to do with raw foods, but the intuition and intelligence should tell us human beings have been on the planet for billion years and we've been eating and we've not always had access to superfoods. but we've been surviving. And I'd love to, I love to study centenarians, people who live for over a hundred and they eat the simplest crops grown locally. 
our body knows what it wants. I think we've overloaded. We have so much information that we feel helpless. I tell everybody information, excessive information makes you helpless. Your intuition brings you back. Your instinct, your knowing about your body allows you to filter through that noise. We've not gotten any filter. So yes, we've gone off track completely. I think that was a great clarifying point about the fire nidhi because there is the exact opposite that I hear a lot that, you know, we need to eat like primitive man. We need to go back to how, you know, the paleo eating where uh, we, what did primitive man eat? He didn't eat grains. Grains are inflammatory. And uh, how you put that across was great clarity for me and why 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 did we evolve after the fire and I think that would probably be my biggest takeaway from today and I would love for us to just end a little bit with your thoughts on Abhyanga because it's personally a practice that is very close to my heart and very dear to me so I'd love to talk a little bit about Abhyanga in the context of sleep Yes. So Abhyanga is a practice of application slash massaging of an oil on your body before, ideally before you exercise in the morning, but also you can do certain things before you go to sleep. And what Abhyanga does is not only grounds the nervous system, it grounds Vata. Vata is what keeps you up. It grounds Vata, it grounds your nervous system, it goes and replenishes. When you do it in the morning and you're doing before your Vyayam, it goes and replenishes what, what gets depleted. It goes into deep cells and creates new tissue and new cells. It's raw material for your cells. At night, before you're sleeping, and uh, while an Abhyanga feels really good, you know, there's a few places that Abhyanga can really help at night. One of them is in your head, right? If you don't want to do your full Shiro Abhyanga and the top of your head doing Abhyanga out here and like just on the crown of your head and massaging with other sesame oil or Brahmi based oil can be really helpful. Also your ears, right? So it's Karna, uh, Karna Pada Shiro. So you can do it in your ears and you can massage the front and back of your ears with that oil. You can even put a few drops inside and that's a very, very grounding. You can even massage the bottom of your feet. And again, all your nerve endings are there. So when you kind of put oil there, you're just kind of closing that circuit. You're grounding it from the head and the feet so that people also like to massage their joints because they feel a little worn out. You can also put some oil in your belly button. Every once in a while, uh, Deepa, I will do a little bit gentle massage for my daughters at night, you know, just to kind of massage their feet and their legs and all of that. But traditionally, you don't want to sleep slathered with oil. You want to have oil only in these areas and you want to do shiropyanga, karna, feet, ears, feet, and you can do your joints and put some in your navel. And oil in Ayurveda, which is also called Sneha. Sneha also means love. And it's the most loving practice. It is the most loving substance to apply on the human body is oil. Any final words of wisdom, Nidhi? You've shared so much with us today. All I can say, Deepa, I'm grateful to be here, glad, um, uh, you know, this is great work. And I would say that for sleep, you can train your body 
to go into a different realm. And while they not this may not be directly related to Ayurveda, and I'm sure Deepa is familiar with this in her yoga practice, but if there's another realm that you can dip into, you know, we stay, I say, when people are sleeping and they have the, you know, even in the darkness, we have our eyes open. So you're not, you're confusing your brain. I'd say the minute it's dark, close your eyes, observe your breath, sink into another realm, like pretend you're in trance, pretend you're in that lehri, you know, and, uh, and you know, when you start practicing that through your breath, I feel like, I know I've done it, Deepa, I used to be a very poor sleeper. Uh, about 14 years ago, I started doing this. And now you make me sleep sitting down and I will go to sleep because you just practice going into that state. So I'll tell everybody, there is a lot of hope. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of hope in that. Hey, can people learn more about you, Nidhi? So Deepa, I, I am primarily an educator. I also work with private clients. I usually blog on my Instagram, which is my underscore Ayurvedic underscore life. But I also have run a lot of courses. But if you were to go on my Instagram, you'll get details on all of that. Thank you for your time, Nidhi, your age-old wisdom. And I think you're definitely an old soul. It was an absolute pleasure having you here today and for sharing your wealth of knowledge with us. Thank you, Deepa. Thank you so much. My pleasure. In this episode, Nidhi left us thinking about how fire transformed us and allowed us to evolve. Coming from an intersection of functional medicine and Ayurveda, I have myself felt overwhelmed by the paleo approach everywhere. This conversation was a refreshing change. Personally, I have never needed to put clients on grain-free diets, although it is the general recommendation in functional medicine. If it has worked for you or your clients, great. I will invite you to ponder on the concept of warmth and fire and using warm foods versus cold foods. The truth is that the environment of our gut is warm and we must nurture the space. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and have a great day. This podcast is intended to provide helpful and informative material on the subject matter covered in the episodes. The podcast is not acting in the capacity of a doctor or a registered dietitian and is not rendering any professional healthcare or medical service. The information in the podcast is not intended as a substitute for medical advice or services or as treatment or cure for any particular health condition. The advice and tools contained herein may not be suitable for your situation. Any medical questions regarding contraindications and cautions or any questions of whether or not to proceed with any practices provided in the show should be referred to qualified health professionals before adopting the same. The podcast specifically disclaims any responsibility for any liability, loss, risk, personal or otherwise which may be incurred as a direct or indirect consequence of the use of information from this podcast 
or the application adoption of any of the information provided.